quickly. And I think, you know, and I think this is the thing. We're having this conversation about this now. How often are we hearing this, you know, when you go to a dental Never. show? Yeah. All you hear, and, I'm, and no, with all due respect to them, because there's a lot of great guys out there who are great at gurus at getting new patients in. I think that some of the guys are amazing. But I don't hear enough people talking about this subject. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Protrusive Dental Podcast. It's Jazz Gulati here. So, wow, what an episode with Michael Melkers. I hope you enjoyed it. I really love recording it. And once again, it was a video podcast, so you can see it on my Facebook page as well. But what can I say? I am honored to have the Dr. Tiff Qureshi on this podcast. I feel like the guests are getting better and better each time, and it's a privilege to be able to interview these people. So, Tiff, the story with me and Tiff is I went to his course in Sydney. Actually, I was uh, living in Singapore at the time and it was a great way to see Australia. And I noticed that actually Tiff was teaching in Sydney and my wife let me go. So Sim, thanks for letting me go. Now, Tiff is, I'm going to go ahead and say he's the most respectable person in UK dentistry. There, there you go. I said it. If you don't know about Tiff Qureshi, then please join us for this fantastic two-part episode. The amount of value he gives in the recording was so vast that I had to split it in two episodes. So the way that the two episodes are split as follows. Part one of Dahl is basically talking about the importance of consistent photography, how Tiff Qureshi carries out his consultations and what kind of communication he carries out with his ongoing patients in the run-up to Dahl. Because what you'll find out is that a lot of these Dahl cases, they're not done as a treatment plan that's presented to a patient and then they go ahead. It's a conversation you need to have and you need to cultivate and discuss with the patient. So there's some great tips in there. We talk about young associates moving around too much in terms of associate positions. We talk about how much you can learn from your follow-ups. You know, you're already probably familiar with a lot of his ideologies and philosophies, which are just fantastic. We talk about, in terms of Dahl itself, we talk about, and I apologize in my last episode, if you listen to audio version, about the fact that actually we do go in quite heavy into Dahl. Like we don't actually talk about the history or the mechanics about the whole intrusion, joint repositioning to an extent we do. But it's almost assumed that you know about Dahl technique already to a degree. And then I really grill him about the nuances, the, the nitty gritty after you've done a couple of Dahl cases to actually improve your future Dahl cases. So I do apologize if you're a bit earlier in your career and you're all a bit unfamiliar with the Dahl technique. There's plenty of good resources out there. In fact, I promise you on my blog, jazz.dental, soon to be upgraded, by the way, to Protrusive uh, website, which I'll, t- I'll tell you about that another time. I'll be uploading that on like, like a PDF version, some good BDJ articles, which I found helpful uh, when I was learning about Dahl. But obviously, you know, Tiff's course, two-day course on Dahl, auto-restorative is the, the, the pinnacle of it all anyway. But he gives away a lot of his gems because he's such a generous person with his knowledge over these next two episodes. So part one, what we'll be discussing is who is the ideal patient for the Dahl technique? Would you ever do Dahl in porcelain? The importance of Dahl as an interceptive treatment, not to leave it too late for the patients to Dahl them because that's really a full-mouth rehab. What we can learn about full mouth rehabs by, you know, doing the dial technique and the importance once again of the communicating, communicating with patients the right way about the dial technique. So that's what is going to be covered in part one today. For, for part two, we'll go into much more depth in terms of which types of splints to use with dial before, after, sort of the real nuances and the nitty gritty bits. And that'll be in part two coming soon. So I hope you enjoy our interview and uh, please, if you like it, 
you know, give me, leave me a review on Google Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you're listening to. Give me any stars you want. My favorite number is five. So please, yeah, enjoy our episode and thank you so much for listening as always. I just want to say firstly, Tiff, congratulations for the, the massive prize because I believe the, the prize is named after the dentist that you admired a lot, right? That's correct, yes, Svokotoroskog. I mean, it's a massive prize to me. It probably doesn't mean a lot to most dentists in the UK, in the UK because uh, he wasn't that well known. I think quite a lot of dentists do know him and did know him, but he's not that well known in the wider community in the UK. But probably I would put him up there as one of the, the greatest dentists of all time based on not just his kind of clinical skills of which there was very apparent but really his perception and his kind of ethos in that it was more about he was more about looking after people for you know a long period of time trying to do the most minimal treatment for the reasons of actually not just doing it for the sake of doing it minimally but mm-hmm. because he cared about how things were five or ten years down the line or 15 years down the line which is exactly your ethos and philosophy so would you say he's had the, the biggest influence in your uh, clinical philosophy and your career yeah, without doubt. Of all, I've, I've got there's a lot of dentists out there that I've watched and heard lecture and, and met and know them and I admire them immensely. But I, I don't think there's anybody had quite an effect on me as watching Sverker when I when I watched him for the first couple of times, and then I was very lucky to actually uh, meet him. Uh, and then incredibly, he actually turned up on one of my courses in uh, wow. In, Stockholm about 10 years ago I wasn't actually expecting wow that is really amazing that is uh, Amazon really key lifting moment for you to have one of your you know mentors one of the people you really look up to come to your lecture absolutely terrifying as well because in my presentation yeah there were some of my you know my pre-aligned veneer cases which really looked absolutely hopeless compared to his but but to be fair I mean you know he he sat there as a a student and listened to it all and actually did some cases and believe it or not I mentored him a little bit as well so it was quite amazing actually so I'd say yeah I I did but he was you know he's humble enough to actually with all the knowledge that he had to just sit there and listen and and take on board what I had to say and, and and actually that's kind of where I suppose where this all came from, because then with with his kind of ethos, he knew what I was doing, and he kind of supported a lot of what I what I did, particularly in Norway and Sweden. And there's a guy, the guy that I actually won the prize with jointly. Again, not well known here, but his name is Eric Svenstrud. Oh, I think I've seen him on Facebook. He posts uh, some good ABB cases as well, right? You're right. That's right. But Eric is actually really Sverker's protege, um, if you want to use a better ter- well, term. I mean, he's basically the person that Sverker gave all his material to and he stepped in when he was unwell and he really sort of is trying to continue that message on. And quite oddly, the reason I met Eric was because about 2013, I was meant to be doing a lecture where it was just myself and Sverker on stage and we had a little bit of slight crossover. So that was like, for me, a dream come true. But then unfortunately, unfortunately, he became ill. And that's obviously, you know, he was suffering a little bit. He became ill about that point. And Eric stepped in and I was like a bit upset. You know, who's this Eric guy type of thing. But actually, I met Eric and, and literally from that day onwards, we've sort of clicked as, you know, extremely good friends who, you know, we message and speak to each other. And it's a bit sad about dentistry uh, and about, you know, about life in general, pretty much every day about, you know, where dentistry is going. And both of us have obviously been kind of been deeply uh, influenced by Sverker. So yeah, to summarize, to win that award is a big deal for us, definitely. 
and honestly, I can't think of anyone better. So you're a man who, Tiff, I'm going to make you blush a little bit. You're a man who really doesn't need to any, I mean, most of my listeners, 80% of my listeners are from the UK, young dentists, and they all know who you are already, okay? So for those who are living under a rock, Tiff is, if you don't mind, Tiff, I didn't ask you for an introduction. I'm just going to make one up for you, if that's all right. Through the eyes and for the voice of me, of me, and you are the king, or the, or the you know, I, I, maybe the guru is not the right term, because I, I feel that term is, won't do you justice. I think you're just an amazing person, and your niche area of orthorestorative and how you've really pushed minimal uh, invasive dentistry is just fantastic you're one of the nicest most humble most giving clinicians you've always got time for for everyone young dentists everyone you're a master educator and i know that because i'm pretty sure you gave two day keynote lecture in scandinavia recently right or was it or was it new zealand are you enjoying the protrusive dental podcast well allow me to deliver you even more value you can now download the ios or play store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. No, it was actually both. The two, the two days were in, were in Norway and there was one whole day to a very large audience and then another hands-on day. And then New Zealand was actually the year before where again, it was, it was a whole day. Um, and then I did two days in Australia. But that, you know what, these things, they come around and you take the opportunity when you can. No, but Tiff, to, to be able to speak for two whole days as a keynote speaker, firstly, you have to be really engaging, which you totally are. If, you, if you've never been to one of the Tiff's course and speaking opportunities, uh, jump at it. Really, really. I mean, I, I saw you in Sydney, if you remember. Yes, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> what are you doing over there again? Uh, okay, so I was living in Singapore at the time, right? And uh, we were going to come back to the UK. And I thought, okay, let's go to Australia. So while we're there in Australia, I just noticed the dates have to happen to coincide. And I didn't want to wait another six months or a year to come and see you speak. Because, you know, you, it was about the, it was the author restorative yeah. part, you know, the DAL. Hence why, you know, which we're gonna, that's what we're talking about today, DAL. And, you know, I'm so glad I went. And uh, I've learned so much. And I've gone through lots of DAL cases, which we can definitely get into nitty gritty of today. But so I just want to emphasize tiff you're a fantastic uh, educator because you know not only to put on a two-day program you have to be really engaging but to have enough content to fill i don't know seven hours per day 14 hours that is spectacular and we know on you know on facebook you have so many amazing follow-up cases year after year after year and i love how you present it two years five years ten years and you're very honest oh this one's with polishing this one's without polishing so i think that is amazing what i also love about your cases tiff and i'm sorry if i'm calling any other dentists out here instagram dentists whatever but i just don't like it when dentists take one type of photo with a ring flash and then their final photos are all the bounces and stuff okay I'm, I'm not about that I've noticed even though you've got bloody 15 years plus follow-up your lighting is always so consistent and you're never trying to hide anything and that really in today's era deserves so much kudos I have to say that's probably just come down to laziness and got myself <laughs> soft boxes all that kind of stuff. I try, I did try it, but I just thought, what a load of fat! I can't be bothered with that. I mean, and actually, I think over time you start, you do actually look at the images more honestly. I think what it is is that you know I, I did play around. If you look at some of my images, they are a little bit different because yes, I did go from ring flash to twin. But you might upgrade equipment, and I get that. But you, I, I know that you try and keep. You're not trying to like you know make one look not so nice and the other one look. You know, that's exactly what my point. You're right. I do admire the guy 
guys that do that very well because I mean some of those pictures are beautiful um, but to a certain degree I think what I'm also trying to do is get people to focus on what what you're actually looking at not just to think oh what a beautiful picture and actually you know I think what I learned what I've learned and it comes back to what you said before about seeing people again and again it, no one expects everything to look perfect 5, 10, 15 years down the line in fact when it looks imperfect you learn so much more from it do you see what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it, it enables you to kind of get an expectation of how things are going to change. You know, this whole, I think there's, you know, you could have a whole conversation on this, this whole before and after mentality is actually half the problem what's wrong with dentistry. But people are just focused on providing a service. Here's what you pay me. Thank you. Goodbye. And that's the end of the relationship. That's actually what I, re- I one of the things I learned from Sferka. It's completely wrong. And and that kind of message, that kind of attitude goes all the way through dentistry, I find. It really is. It's kind of, it's in, dare I say, you know, it's in it's in specialism. You know, if you think about specialists, the way that they're, and I'm just talking about author, like generally, other than perio, most specialists will do a very complex treatment. It's done. Goodbye. Okay. And that is not, I don't yeah. think that's the way that dentistry should be. I think, I'm not saying you don't, you don't have specialists, but I think that particularly nowadays, particularly remote monitoring, all the things we can do, there should be so much more cross communication between people who are looking after a specialist created treatment or a complex treatment and the person who actually carried it out. So I know I'm slightly straying. The point being is that the photo, the, the reason for having long term photographs has really sort of made me understand that actually that's what dentistry should be about. It should be about a longer term relationship with the patient rather than this whole, you know, get 20% of the rich people through the door and sell them the much, as much treatment as you can do. That's just, I did that for a while. And that mm-hmm. is total, and I'll be a bit rude here, total garbage. And, and it's actually, and I actually bought, think it's borderline unethical, that whole kind of mentality of just, you know, big ticket treatment. And then you just, dis, you know, basically just disregard the patient. I'm not saying that a lot of people do, but I do believe that in certain elements of dentistry, you know, where particularly smile driven dentistry there is this kind of emphasis where you're just always focusing on new patients you know what i mean it's always new patients yeah yeah there's a whole massive market on Facebook all the time advertising. Oh, are you looking for new patients? 73 new patients in three days and all that sort of stuff. Well, but this, this is the thing. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it. But I can tell you what, I actually don't like treating new patients. <laughs> I don't. There's reasons for it. Uh, most of the work I do that you see is all on patients. I've had a bit of a conversation going with for a few months at least or maybe a couple of years. Uh, you know, that's another reason. And I know we're talking about dull, but it's another reason why I do so much dull. Because in reality, you will do far more dull on patients that you know and have had an co- ongoing conversation with compared to a patient you've never met before. Because dull requires the patients to kind of understand why you're doing it and what the benefits of it are Absolutely. As well. And what I found is that with all the dull cases, there's only one dull case which I sort of presented a treatment plan and she wanted to go ahead with it and I did it. But you're right, most of the other dull cases I've done in fact, all of the other dog cases are done. There's been at least six months of, uh, of communication. Now, obviously, with my six months, it doesn't compare to your years and years with just the, the way it works out. And, and on that note, actually, I should really mention that, Tiff, you, you're one of the advocates of being in one place for a long time. And you already mentioned this, you know, about long-term follow-ups and whatnot. And that's really admirable. And I know one of the tips, one of the things I was going to ask you at the end is, any tips for young dentists? And I know that you always talk about this and the value of being in one place for a long time is amazing in terms of how much you learn. But it's actually having an interesting effect on me, Tiff, because every time I've been in a situation in my life since qualifying in 2013 where I've had to leave a post because we're moving to Singapore or moving back, I've had your voice in my head really be disappointed in me. <laughs> I have you to, to blame for this. <laughs> so you're having a great effect on this. You're getting people, associates. Associates nowadays, you know, as a young associate, I can say this, we're moving around too much, I think. And I think what you teach to stay in one place to see a follow-up is just sensational. 
yeah, if you if you've got to come back from Singapore to the UK, that's that's acceptable. I totally totally get that. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's fine. It's a life decision. But I think that you're right. There are a lot of people who I think they kind of make them move around from practice to practice in areas that actually aren't that far away from each other. And you sort of think, well, why are you doing that? You know, I, I met one associate, uh, one chat, young chat who met me in a course, and he, you know, he, after a lecture, he said, oh, I really enjoyed that. But I could see he was doubt. I could see he wasn't happy. And you know, he was explaining he's had nine jobs in nine years. Oh <laughs> my think, goodness! You've never seen your work. You know, you've yeah. you basically had nine years of not really learning a lot. Because the reality is, you know, I've learned, and I, I say this at the beginning of my lectures, I've done a lot of courses over the years, and I've watched a lot of lecturers, but I've learned more from seeing my own cases than any course I've ever attended. And that is so important, because to be able to face your own work, even when it looks rubbish, is an absolutely key part of being a dentist. You know, and actually, when I looked at work that I encouraged the patient to pay for, you know, when I said, you know, we're going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I came back and I looked at it. So, and there was a leaking margin on a composite that I'd done four or five years ago. What I would, I, you know, I looked at it partly because the other thing, and you may get into it, but I, I always use intraoral cameras for every single checkup. Okay, and it's quite a rare thing to do. I know a lot of dentists have intraoral cameras, but they don't use them every checkup. And I take a picture of every single tooth, and it takes wow. me literally. But but what that does is it helps sometimes. Then we both the patient and I look at something that I did three or four years ago, and if there's a, a leak, you know, I, I look at it, I'm not happy with that, I'm going to redo it. And you know what? Just doing that. If you're not happy with something and you redo it, and it might cost you, you know, 250 pounds, whatever, of your time. The yep. fact that you've done that is better marketing than any thousands of pounds you can spend on Instagram trying to get a load of people through the door. Because what you're actually telling that patient is your primary focus is their health, their care, not money. You know, you see my point? 100%. And it's something that I learned from actually Tom Seeley also does this. And some of these great dentists like yourself and Tom Seeley, like when I went to shadow right. Tom Seeley once, you know, he'd come across some a fantastic 9 out of 10 anterior composite. And because it, it wasn't 10 out of 10, he wouldn't force the patient. We'd say, look, I think I can do a little bit better. If you have the time for me, I'll, I'd love to, to make it better for you. And that is, you're right, that is the ultimate way to... And he's not doing it because he wants to market himself. To, he just generally wants to do an amazing job. I, I've taken a leaf from that and what from your saying. So that's a, a great tip to... If you see work that is not to your true standard and you want to really fulfill your objective of making something beautiful, long-lasting, then just replace it and the patient will, you know, tell a hundred people. Exactly. And then, and you know what? Then the patients like you. They become friendly with you. And, you know, and then, then when they send someone in to see you, that new patient's very different to a new patient that you pulled in off Instagram or wherever. And I'm not saying that Instagram patients are terrible, blah, blah, blah. But what I'm saying is, you know, through my career, you know, my long career, I've noticed that the patients who get referred are so... I found them so much easier to treat. It's so much they, they, you're not having to win them over. They, they, somebody who's just come in and who's just kind of you know you get those kind of patients who are sort of trying out lots of different dentists and looking for price and that sort of stuff. Yes. And I'm, I'm very careful with those people. I don't start treating them very quickly. Sometimes I don't like that. But when it's a, somebody that I know, I'm not saying I've dropped my defences, but, but I found that over time those people because they're family and friends, you know they. They've already, they already love you, if you see what I mean. Yeah, they uh, trust you. And also, also, it's the family of friends of people who you also enjoy treating, who, who you also trust. Exactly. So for you, and it's I, also great. You, you already like this patient. The patient already likes you just from the prior relationship with the other patient. Exactly. And I think, you know, and I think this is the thing. We're having this conversation about this now. How often are we hearing this in the, you know, when you go to a dental Never. show? Yeah, all you hear, and, I'm, and no, with all due respect to them, because there's a lot of great guys out there who are great at gurus at getting new patients in. I think that some of the guys are amazing, but... 
I don't hear enough people talking about this subject. And actually, I think the effect it has on younger dentists who are not established is to make them feel under pressure that they've got to sort of somehow market themselves as a brand to then have all these new patients coming in. And that's just not true. What you need to do, you get back to what you said, what we need to do is to stay in one place, build trust, be honest, talk to people, tell them what's going on, you know, do things right. And then it would take two or three years potentially, but you'll start to see these people coming back who actually trust you. And that's really how, that's how dentistry should be. And it just highlights again, again, being in one place for a long time, it has that, you have the ability to do that by building a report. And one more thing I want to mention is a, a Zach Cara's episode, Thinking Comprehensive. One thing that Zach said in that episode, which uh, always resonated with me, is he'll never treat a patient who he can't have a laugh with. Yeah, I think he's totally right. And actually, you know, that kind of sort of goes back to what I said about not jumping in too quick in that what I tend to do is, I mean, if someone's coming in for quite comprehensive treatment, the bottom line is they're going to probably need hygiene, a couple of little minor things done anyway. What we've always done in our practice, I mean, you've got hygienists, it's a great thing to send someone to the hygienist and then actually just have a chat with the hygienist and just say, how did you find the patient? You know, mm. because you can learn a lot from that, actually. And I better be careful what I say here, but you, but you know what I mean? I mean, but the yeah. bottom line is that actually people need to visit the practice to few times or you can really kind of get your head around them i sometimes send patients off to the associate they'll do a root filling or something something i don't know do, so don't really do those and again i just do some simple stuff and then before you really get into the the big treatment just make sure that this patient's kind of on board with the whole kind of concept of the way everything works and and you know it, and let's face it it's just pleasant a pleasant person to deal with someone you're going to have a laugh with exactly perfect so uh, that's uh, been one of the best intros I've ever done. Thank you so much. Honestly, uh, there's, honestly, there's so many gems in there. Uh, no, no, but this is, this, is, this is awesome. I'm probably going to break this up into a two-part episode. So we'll get <laughs> it's the first part of communication gems and, and life coaching, if you like, for, for dentists, which is, that's what it was. It was just full of great information. Uh, and so now, Dal, so what I'm probably going to have to skip is, look, the audience, I tend to listen to this podcast, they're already quite learned. I don't doubt for a second they don't know the core principles of Dahl. So if anyone doesn't know the core principles of Dahl, you know, localized toothwear, obviously, obviously uh, Tiff, I'm happy you to touch on it but i don't want to delve too much on the history the lateral care extrusion the mechanics of that i want to do more people who are actually case assessing getting their hands dirty doing it follow-up splint therapy that's the stuff i want to go into so for those dentists who actually want to learn a bit more about dal i'm gonna put some resources pdfs dental update that sort of stuff in the blog post itself so you can download that so uh, you know if you want to do some background reading you can but I really want to while I have Tiff here I really want to get to the, the things that uh, I know you discuss it on your course in your two day course but things that other you wouldn't necessarily be reading from Dental Update or anything the, the real nuances so if you don't mind can I just shoot you some questions yeah absolutely so you know if you sense which is the who is the ideal patient for the let's say let's call it the composite dial technique because one of the questions I'm going to ask you later on and you can probably lead up to it is would you ever do dial in porcelain so you, you go straight to porcelain and then you want them dial in. So start maybe by just saying, who is the ideal patient? What percentage of time are you doing in composite? And then would you ever do it in porcelain? So basically, I'd say the ideal patient is someone you already sort of mentioned with localized anterior toothwear. It's also a patient you've sort of known and been following who you, you explained to them about their, their anterior toothwear. They've got localized anterior toothwear. And I'll emphasize, I think it's important to say, yes. but there's no significant posterior wear. That's key because the point, the way I look at it, it's not, it, and we know this is not true in every case, but in many cases, wear often starts in localized anterior, patients lose their anterior guidance, and then posterior wear can potentially follow. Not always, we know that, but it can follow. So what I'm usually doing is looking in, in an everyday checkup on every one of my patients. I'm always looking at their anterior tooth wear, tooth service loss, and their anterior guidance. And if I feel that their anterior guidance is starting to reduce, they're starting to get close to getting posterior contacts, 
uh, and they're starting to obviously if they're starting to you know uh, occlude on, on soft dentine then that's the type of patient who would be great for dal dal in my opinion is actually an early interceptive treatment it's and mm-hmm. um, and you're saying would i put dal would i do dal a patient straight and pulsing you know what i have in the past but the way i would view it is if you had to do it in porcelain it's probably too late it's not it's not mm-hmm. high, but by that time it's probably too late and um, because it's quite rare that the front teeth are that badly destroyed and there's no effect on the back teeth you see what i mean yeah, usually yeah. i mean quite frankly i mean the, the limits of dial are and the studies say about five mil is what and by the time you've already got five millimeters of anterior tooth surface loss the post uh, there are odd cases where you get you know huge amount of, of uh, alveolar compensation and you so still it's five see- mils anteriorly is basically how much you're building up so that posteriorly that would be around about maybe depending on the ratio you know 1.5 to, to 3 depending on what it's, it's not always 3 to 1 obviously that's a, a rough one but would you say that's how much you're opening up at the back yeah I mean if you really think of it crudely and if you think of the jaw like a hinge you know obviously and actually even then as you go closer further to the back you, you're it may be anything one and a half to two mil and then each segment at the back has actually only got a mil or so to move so it's not like you've got two mil of actual movement of each segment so it's so actually you often find the teeth do move five mil at the front will create about two roughly at the back ish yeah. it depends on the patient's curve spay all the other sort of stuff yeah. as well um but i mean that's kind of fine but if it's beyond five mil you know if they've worn beyond five mil and we've got, then we've also got wear on the posterior teeth that's significant then really that's it, that you're getting into full mouth territory and but that's it, something I took away from your course, Tiff. So if you've got, uh, basically, if I was to make it tangible, if you've got exposed dentin posteriorly and you're just doing this beautiful dial build-ups anteriorly, giving them anterior guidance, but you still got exposed dentin posteriorly and those teeth probably will benefit from restoration, which is exactly my right, and that's your point. That's that actually, right. that patient is a full mouth rehab case rather than you know miss the boat for dial technique. Exactly, but, but the interesting thing is the technique that I use on the front teeth, the way I build the teeth up, um, I'll use that same technique on a full mouth case, but the slight, the way I do it, and the way I do it is I'll build those, those the anteriors up again, and then I'll soft temporize the back teeth to stop those teeth from moving. And then through the process, we then have these buildups on the anteriors, soft temporaries on the back teeth to, to stop them moving, and then I, I effectively wait for the, the jaw to deprogram, and, I, and I'll then go my, through my whole usual full mouth process from that point. So you mm. can use the same bonding technique, but the key point, as you rightly said, is if you've got wear on the back teeth, you don't want those teeth to move you need to hold those in, in position because yes, you want the space so you don't have to hack them down anymore and exactly. that's uh, exactly it. but then an interesting point you raised there is when you don't want the posteriors to sort of move in those cases where you are doing more of a full mouth uh, rehabilitation in those cases i think it's good because the, the whole principle of full mouth rehab is you want to establish the anterior guidance first anyway yeah. Yeah. so you are doing that anyway by doing your dial you're establishing anterior guidance you are uh, and, uh, and with the dial i think it's great for a great exercise for learning occlusion because you're then adjusting you're using your artic- articulating peppers you're getting the you're creating the correct smooth exactly. anterior guidance it's a great way to dare i say learn occlusion i suppose the principles of anterior guidance because dial the basis of dial is, is on that would you would you agree with that absolutely right and, and that's the thing because you're because you're actually using on patients at an early stage who aren't you know they are these aren't big TMD patients. These aren't patients who smashed all their back teeth apart. And this is, I mean, one of the questions that we were sort of thinking about here was, you know, why do people not appreciate it? And one of the biggest problems is, a lot, I think a lot of people use Dahl on the wrong patients when it's too late. And Dahl is really for patients that you've you've had a relationship with you. They understand what's going on. And to actually say to, you know, imagine to a brand new patient who's got a bit of wear on their anterior teeth, imagine trying to say to them, right, I need to build your anterior teeth up to improve your anterior guidance and disclude your posterior teeth, blah, blah, blah. 
So thank you so much for listening to part one. Stay tuned for part two, which will be coming out soon. Have a little break from me for a while. I mean, isn't Tiff Qureshi just a pleasure to listen to? He's just full of so much knowledge and information. So thanks so much as always, Tiff. Look forward to part two. And once again, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. And please, just like I said last time, check out occlusion2020.com, which is the occlusion course by Dr. Michael Melkers, which I'm proudly sponsoring. Tickets are flying for that, which is uh, so great to see. And like I said before, I'm determined to make this the best two-day seminar program on anything, let alone occlusion, in Europe for 2020. So please come and join us for Occlusion and Lamb Chops. Mm-hmm.